This session is from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. All right. Good afternoon, folks. Thank you all for coming to this. Uh, this is this is good morning on Pacific time, where I'm coming from. Yeah, my my early session started just a little after six a.m. Yeah. my time. So I'm I'm a little I'm very grateful that I was reasonably coherent during that time. So hey, this is a follow up to what we did earlier this morning. Uh, I think did anybody miss that? These sinners. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that is very appropriate. Well, let me just, I'll just really br- very briefly summarize for, for you all, because um, we're going to take, we're going to assume that everybody's got that kind of under their belt and move forward. So the big idea, in fact, let me ask some of you, what was the big idea that you took away? That would be a good test for me. You were at this session, right? <laughs> yes. That the family really needs to be involved and be the advocate for the patient. Okay. And support them. Okay. And not, and then the other thing I got was that um, death is not the end. Uh, no, you're, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. That it's really like death is the beginning of life. It's not the end game. Okay. All right. I think yeah. There's a difference between saving someone's life and making it hard for them to die. Yeah. Very good. Right. Very good. Yes. We don't want to uh, hold up the our parents or the the one was yeah uh, nearing the uh, hey that's that's it yeah. That's your ticket to heaven already, so you don't want to hold him up. Take it away. Yeah, I think the, kind of the central theological idea I was trying to get across was that in the scriptures, death is it's a normal, natural part of life because of the pervasiveness and universality of sin. It's not something that's morally neutral. It's an enemy and both a part of life, but it's a conquered enemy. And here was, here was the... the the big takeaway I was hoping you would get. Because it's a conquered enemy, it need not always be resisted. Yeah. And under the right circumstances, it's okay to say stop, stop. to medicine. Uh, and so I've got a couple cases here that uh, are real. I can't, I can't make them up better than they occur in real life. But I consult, I spent about 15 years consulting with a couple different Catholic hospitals and a handful of for-profit hospitals Mainly on end of life cases, and these cases we we I mean we had one of these every week just about, uh, and they just they just happen all the time. So I'm going to give you a couple of these. Don't get you know don't get uh, intimidated by the medical jargon. I'll explain all of that. In fact, I learned early on I learned to bluff it really well with physicians and nurses uh, until I actually learned what these what all this all this foreign language meant. So. What I'm going to do, I'm going to present a couple of cases, I'll present the details, and then I'm going to turn it back to you all, give you a few minutes to talk with the person next to you about what you would do. If you, if you, were, the, if you were the patient or the family member advocating for the patient, what would you do here? Okay? So if you're not, this is, this is the only way to keep you from having the, the after lunch 
post barbecue doldrums. <laughs> so, all right. So here's this is case number one. Mrs. C was a 65 year old female with terminal breast cancer. Okay, now today this was this case was probably 10 or so years ago. Today, the idea of a terminal breast cancer is a bit kind of a bit more of an oxymoron because mm -hmm. it rarely is that way. But she had gone undergone um, full radiation, chemo, all of which failed to stop the cancer. It was a particularly aggressive uh, breast cancer. She was in chronic chronic pains from the, the METs, which are the cancer metastasized to other parts of the body. She was in rehab in a transitional care unit, the TCU, in preparation for what we call a terminal discharge to home, where um, she was basically going to be discharged to something akin to hospice, but she wasn't formally in hospice care at that time. Now, she became hypoxic, which means she had shortness of breath. She was having trouble breathing. She was brought to the ICU, intubated. She had pneumonia, uh, which at that, at that age and with her complications was a really serious problem that had to be dealt with. She had no advanced directive and no do not resuscitate order. No, so no instructions at all to her family members. I think this is one of the things that contributed to the level of angst that was felt by everybody involved in this. Okay? Um, they had a family conference that was held um, and the physicians suggested several days to reverse the pneumonia. Um, so we're going to we'll try the best we can for a few days. It's, it's a time trial of treatment to see if we can turn the pneumonia. Family is kind of ambivalent about it, but agreed. Four days later, the patient was still intubated, and a second family conference was held. Okay, now, this is starting to get, you know, it's starting to get ugly here. Um, and the physician had much a much stronger view at this point. Unfortunately... The family, well, they asked for a little more time, we'll put it that way. Uh, and they, in fact, they asked for a lot more time, indefinitely. And so what the, basically what the family insisted on was they, they wanted the physician to do everything until <coughs> Mrs. C dropped dead despite their best efforts. That's what came out. Okay? So you are, you are the attending physician here. We'll put you in the role of the attending physician here. Right? You, have a, you have a recalcitrant family that you're dealing with that's dug in their heels. Now, I think there's a reason why they dig in their heels sometimes. It's because the physician had been processing the decline of Mississippi for a long time and had been for, for trying to put the best face on this to the family. So the physician was trying to be as upbeat as possible. In the family, all they heard was the upbeat stuff. You know, they filtered out the bad news. And so they're hearing all this upbeat, upbeat, hope, possibilities. And then the physician says, well, we think it's time to, to stop. And it's, it's not that surprising that families dig in their heels when that happens because they're totally unprepared for that. Some of you are nodding your heads like you've been in that situation before. And so when this second family conference was held, they were, they were button heads pretty significantly. 
And I think part of the reason was the family just wasn't prepared for this major shift in what they were being told. And this is where, I mean, if we'd have had, if we'd have, if this woman had a pastor, the pastor and the, and, and the spouse would have been so helpful to the family at this time. Okay? So maybe I, I got, I got a better idea. We'll, we'll do something a little different than here. Let's say that let's say that this woman does have a pastor and it's you. And you've been called in by the family uh, to say, can basically can you help us make a decision here? Alright? What they really want you to do is persuade the doctor to go along with their wishes. Okay? Alright? So let's we'll put you, you've been called in as the pastor. Right, and if you're really brave, you can role play that with the person next to you. If we were, if we were in, if we were in my classroom, that's what we'd be doing. Uh, but we'd have three hours to do it, not forty-five minutes. So I'll give you about two or three minutes with the person next to you. You're the pastor that's been brought into this. Okay, how how would you come alongside this family and help them? All right, and then we'll hear some of your responses. Is this a believer? Yes. Yes, good question, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Long, uh, yes, another question? How long has the pastor been involved in the conversation? Uh, first time. <laughs> first time. Okay, I'm trying to make this as hard as we can. Question? Are the family members? Yes. Oh, when you said, what will you do? Are we part of the family or a friend? Or no, you're, you're, you're the, the pastor. pastor. I'm the you're pastor. You're the pastor. Okay. My 56-year-old sister Patricia is Mrs. C, and she, her breast cancer, which was treated, now has come back as bone cancer. God help us. I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. All right. So I'll give you. I'll give you about two or three minutes. How how, how is pastor? Are you going to help this family? You're a lady pastor, right? Go. I'm <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, how, how, how would you all, as their pastors, help this family navigate this situation? But as you stated the case, I'm not their pastor. This was the first time I met them. Right. No, no, no. This is the first time you've been involved in this okay. particular case. You're their longtime pastor. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm exactly happening right now. So I started, actually I got involved in it about a week and a half ago. And so we're at the process of the person's in hospital at this moment today. And so my whole idea because I had to do this is I'm, I, I like it, but coming in blind and not knowing what the doctor said, I've got to get them to start thinking biblically what does God's word say. If they're Christians, you've got to hear them and the reality that this death is coming. I can work a miracle if he wants to, but the reality the doctor's saying that this person, and you've got to get them to understand what right. God, what's important to God and where he wants to go. And a lot of times I ask short questions that make them think to regurgitate correct information back to me so that they think in the process. Because when they lock down, they're not it's, thinking. Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. So that's how yeah. I would approach it. Okay. Ra- yeah. Ra- rationality is sometimes in a little short supply here. Yes. All, on on all sides. Okay. What's important to God, and then what? What's important to God, and then he's he's asking for oh, you to I'm finish sorry. your sentence. What what does what, what's important to God? And what actually I'm trying to get them to see what they actually say they believe. Yes. Yes. That's yeah crucial. I would say everybody's Christian here. They've been praying that their mother wife would be healed right. for a week, a month, a year. Um, we are seeing clear evidence that God has not answered that question. 
I'm your pastor. I'm not a prophet. Okay. All right. I can't say what will happen, but the evidence is that God's plan for Mrs. C is is, is a different plan. Is to take her home. So. If they can agree to that, then we have a platform of rationality. Okay. What what then okay. in response to what the evidence would indicate is okay. God's will? Then how should we okay. respond? All right. The doctor will probably bless you. Excuse me. The doctor will probably bless you for your help in that yes, regard. Yes, and more so the nurses. Maybe. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Others? Somebody else had a hand up here. Uh, I think, yeah, back in the back. Um, I might say something like this. I said we all know she's a, this case person is a believer, right? Mm-hmm. We're all to go to heaven someday, sometime. The question is, is she on her way? Okay, good, good. Okay. Yeah, I think sometimes we can also we can also ask questions that have a little medical import to them too, and we can say, "You want to authorize this treatment, but to to what end? To what end are what what is your goal here?" And see, often often we'll ask the family, "What's your goal?" Okay, and the family most of the time has a goal. That's wildly divergent from the medical realities, because the family's goal here is that Mrs. C is going to walk out of the hospital mm-hmm. on her own power, and the only way she's walking on her own power again is if she goes to meet the Lord. But she really but, wasn't, because before she got to go home to the almost hospice, sort of, <coughs> they had already. But they knew that that was not going that's to be right. a good thing. It was going to be just to prolong her life. That's right. Which is another set of issues by itself. Okay. Yes. Another thing I think would be to simplify. Um, I tell my son this all the time. Simplify. One word. And do we believe Genesis 1-1 or do we not? So a pastor speaking with the family. Do we believe Genesis 1-1? God created everything. If that's yes, then the rest of the Bible should be fairly simple. But if we do believe that, then... This transition, we should accept God's will yeah. over ours. Do we pray okay. for God's will to be done, or do we want our will to keep that person on, yeah, on no, that, earth for a few more? That's years? a really that's a really good observation because, you know, who is this about? Right. Oh, at the end of the day, and you'd be surprised how often this is where you got you all can really be helpful. Is telling the family this is not about you all. Right? This is not about what's, what's doing what's best for me, for us. This is what's doing what's best. Why is my phone ringing? It's my brother. It's my brother wanting help with our 90 year old mother. That's exactly why he's calling. That's ironic. Um, no, I'm not even sure where I was. Uh, Who is this about? That's the decision that, and Steve, um, this fellow here has been with me this whole time. I had to make the same decision a few weeks ago about my wife, and she passed. Oh. But do I believe in yeah, the gospel yeah. or do I not? Yeah. That's, so yeah. for folks trying to speak to a family, yeah. that's what helped yeah, and fa- you know, families are—they're just trying to. Families are in—they're in, in an impossible position because they're trying to—they're trying their best to do, you know, to do right by their loved ones. But 
you know, blocking out all the emotional stuff that's going on. I mean, that's that's a Herculean task. Mm-hmm. And so I think helping helping family manage that part of it is super important. And to, I think to let them know that the decisions they make are not decisions that they are making for their benefit, mm-hmm. but for their loved ones. And, and I think the key is, we, we discussed it, and you said it this morning, you have to tell them beforehand, like soon as you know that you have cancer, you need to let your spouse, your children, your brothers and sisters know, this is what I've instructed. And people are afraid. They don't want to, you know, they know what they really want. They know they want to be with the Lord, but they don't ever think to tell these people until it gets to where you can. Yeah, And, and to say to your family, this is not a debate. This is not up for discussion. I'm informing you of my wishes. That's hard to do. And I mean, you know, God only knows there's more family craziness that comes out in ICU waiting rooms than. Oh, yeah. But don't you you think that they should teach pastors today that Mrs. Jones in your church comes down with a, a disease that could be terminal? You should be talking to Mrs. Jones first and saying, you know, this yeah. is something you want to think about if they're believers. Mm-hmm. This is something you need to think about. And I would suggest before you get to making these difficult decisions, let your spouse or child know. Yeah. But no, but they don't do that. They don't do that. They want no. to give them the hope, which is nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. But don't they still have to face the fact that one day either the rapture's coming or the Lord's calling them home. <laughs> one or the other. Yeah. Well, and I think that what by not giving people a heads up that these decisions are coming, we rob them potentially of what I think is a really important element, and that is to get relational closure with the people close to them. I mean, now sometimes, you know, that's just not a, you just, that just doesn't happen. But a lot of times, you know, we miss opportunities because we haven't given people advance notice that these decisions might be coming, particularly. If you have, you know, if you've got a, you know, a, a, a parishioner or a, you know, a parent who's, you know, going back and forth from the hospital to from nursing home, yeah. you know, I mean, on one of those trips, you know, somebody needs to tell them that, you know, maybe on this, maybe not this time or the next time, but the time after that, you may have to think about making some hard decisions. You know, here's what they are. Okay. And I think what puts you all, and I think in in a little bit different role than a family member, is that you're you're not you don't get sucked into those dynamics, and you're I mean you're an insider, but you're also an outsider, uh, and you have you have I think much more, I don't know, leverage is probably not the right term, but much more influence on the family than you realize, uh, and physicians are incredibly grateful for pastors who sort of know their way around this and, and have experience at this. Um, and I mean, I, it, it's required stuff for my seminary students who are in the MDiv program that, you know, at some point in your training, you've got to go shadow a chaplain. And you've got, you've got to witness an end-of-life conversation that a chaplain has with a family. You know, and I'm handpicking the chaplains. Because not, you know, some, let's just say they're, 
they're on a bit of a continuum. Um, but there are a lot of really good ones out there who fit fit really well with us theologically um, and would fit with the family. Now, here's the, qu the question you raised a little, a little bit ago. What's different if this person is not a believer? What's different? What do you do differently? Anything? Yeah, I certainly hope so. Amen. Like, yeah. Okay. At that point, I would say that the person that's about to pass, Sorry. if they're if they can't speak or anything, they can't think or own a machine, then that's a good time to bring at least the family members that you could still help. Yes, you can. And I think I actually think you can do that with the patient still. Mm because if that's your brother calling twice you no it's not that. okay. that's somebody, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that was my a good comment. pastoral comment that was like a good comment my kids Thank used you. to call me in the middle of class and I put them on speakerphone <laughs> I, cured, I cured that habit quickly uh, I think this holds even if the patient's not conscious Yes. and I tell the family you know, it's okay to wait for this decision about life support. Mm. It's okay to wait a little bit. But get down there today and do this today. And even if they're not conscious, you go hold their hand and you give it to them as straight as you know how Amen. and ask them to squeeze your hand in response. <clears throat> Make it crystal clear. And I want, I want all the family there too. Um, and and then then I think I think you've done you've done what you can do at that point, um, and then I think I, I would then I would go go on and make the decisions that we're going to make on a medical and moral basis. But even I mean I, we've had patients where you know they just don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it when they're conscious. They don't want to hear it, especially when they hear it from their kids. Um, and so we we tell we tell the kids. You know, the way you frame it really matters because you can say, that, you know, Dad, I want, I want to tell you now all the things that I'm going to say about you at your memorial. But I want you to hear it from me before you die. And humor me. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you some things that are really important to me, too, in this. And, you know, I, haven't, I've, I have yet to see a patient who resists a child when they frame it like, I'm going to tell you all these wonderful things about you that I'm going to say at your memorial. So shut up and listen. <laughs> Gently, of course. Um, but I think that that's a really important part of this. And um, and I think if, if the person's conscious, you go today. Don't wait. But I, some people use the fact that they're not a believer just to justify, you know, keeping things going indefinitely. Because they don't, and really the reason is they don't want to let go of their loved one. And that's where, that's where I said this morning, we routinely offer and demand treatments that are very burdensome for our loved ones for our benefit. And that... I can't think of too many scenarios where that's morally right to do that. Um, and I, I mean, I could tell you more stories than curl your hair 
of what we've done to patients because we haven't had the courage to stand up to family members who were making unreasonable demands. And the law and the law won't help you. We've told we've told hospitals that for years. California's had a law in the books for 22 years now that allows physicians to say no to family members who are making unreasonable demands for aggressive treatment. Not a single physician in the state of California has utilized the law and and given to, to where he gets a court challenge, so it's really established as firm law. Because they're they are physicians are terrified not only of losing lawsuits, but of being being sued is almost as bad as losing. And they will do virtually anything to stay out of court, including basically kowtowing to any to any aggressive demands that family members make. And God forbid if there's a lawyer in the family. Writing reasons, but that that one in particular. Okay. What happened here? Second family conference. The physician asked the family for more time. The family reluctantly agreed, then reconsidered. The DNR orders was issued. Decisions were made. The patient was taken off off the ventilator support, and she passed, as she probably should have done. Probably at least a week. At least a week before that. Four days ago. Yeah, I I would have I would have said that I think it would have been okay. to say after after 24 hours of treatment for pneumonia, to say we're done. Um, it used to be that pneumonia was considered a dying person's best friend before we had things like hospice. Um, now, here's, here's a second one. 65-year-old male, kidney cancer that's metastasized to the liver and the lungs. This guy was in really serious trouble. Prognosis very poor. Family wants to continue aggressive treatment, and his wife is, at this point, the decision maker. Okay. Patient is unresponsive, has a very generally written advanced directive that says no heroic measures. The nephrologist has been called in for a renal consult to continue dialysis. Treatment likely futile, but for the physician hesitant to go against the family's strong wishes. All right? Okay, you're the pastor here. How do you help this particular family? Anything you would do differently from this first case? What does the wife want to do? That would be. Let's just say um, she wants, yeah, she wants, how does she put it? Remember this. She pushed, She wants everything done. Yeah, she pushed, She wants everything done. Quote until his heart stops beating. Mm-hmm. Which could be a really long time in a very bad situation. Yes, sir. Is patient and family believers? Um, that I don't remember. Let's say that they are for the sake of this. But I, I, honestly, I don't remember that. Yes. I think that I would try to point them to that distinction that I made at the beginning. What are you proposing doing for Mr. Good. 
And the, the medical, the medical, right. the medical advice yes. is that we cannot cure Mr. B of these multiple no. issues, and so therefore the answer is what you are doing is making it hard for him to die. And if you have experience, you can say I have watched people die this way, and you do not want to do this to him. Okay. And I have watched people die this way. Right. That's why I'm cheering up. Right. So again, if you're going to authorize a treatment, we ask to what end? It's a really good question yeah. to put to the family. And here's what I would do. I would, I would ask the family, what's the prognosis that the physician's given you? Okay, the diagnosis is clear, but the, what's the prognosis? Physicians are pretty good about giving a prognosis a month or so out. Beyond that, they get a little tenuous about playing profit, and understandably so. Um, and what's, what's the plan of care? Okay. And what's the goal of care? It's prognosis, the plan, and the goal. Okay. And now, what we what we what we have to do here is to match the goal and the plan with the prognosis. And you would be shocked how often in the family's mind there's a almost a complete disconnect between those things. But I, what I'm trying to point out to the family here is that your, your goal for this care and the plan that you have in mind is going to butt heads with the prognosis. And that you, that's a, that's a, and, and so what they have to come to a point of realizing that the goal that they have is not achievable given this lousy prognosis. And so where I'm trying to get the, where I'm trying to get the family to go, same place the physician is, to move to a regimen of pain relief only. Because okay? that's that, you know, pain pain control is always morally required. Right? Because that's 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 an assault on their dignity. And just just no no additional charge for this, but uh, if if you have a, f a family whose loved one is in at the end of life and in unrelievable pain, empower the family. They should be raising hell about that with the because there is no excuse for somebody to die in pain. No excuse, and that's this is that's just another I think, really tangible place where you all are so important. Because, and you can tell, even if a patient's unconscious, you can tell if they clench their, if they have their fist clenched or their, if their brow's furrowed, you can tell with, that they're still in pain. All right. um, and that, yes? Um, I have a question about, so the wife is his, uh, his chosen advanced director, but is there somebody that will advocate for him if the person you choose is not upholding your advanced director? Um, not unless somebody at the hospital recognizes that there's a problem. And they have ombuds, ombudsmen and women <coughs> who are available to do that. But somebody, somebody in this scenario has, you know, a nurse or a physician or a case manager, they've got to recognize that we have a problem here. Yeah. And that often means overriding the physician, who probably will not take particularly kindly to that, <laughs> and but you 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 have to recognize that we have an issue, and a lot of times it just goes. The physician just does what the family says, 
or allows the or allows the family to go against the advance directive. So, so, if, so an advance directive doesn't have as much power as we might think it does. Um, legally, it does. Legally, it's unassailable. But the degree to which it's enforced in various settings is on a bit of a continuum. So that's a, I mean, that's a big, that's another part of your job, too, empowering the family to do what they need to do to get this thing enforced. Um, although, usually, if it's not being enforced, it's the family who want, you know, who think it's just a set of suggestions and not something that's legally binding. That answer your question? It did, yeah. Okay. Yes. I just want to reiterate what you said there a moment ago. I hope everybody heard it. That must have been a good just point. A few weeks ago, a 90-year-old man, strong believer, ex-pastor, called me, tremendous pain, and he said, is it okay for me to take my life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... As I talked to him, I began to realize anxiety is going on and a lot of pain. And I have a close friend who is a hospice doctor, and he had told me, and here's the point you made, there is no sense for pain to be a part That's of right. the end of life. That's right. We are at the point that we can manage that. And I called him. He said, Bruce, tell that family to get on hospice. And if they can't get it under control, call them again. And if they can't get it under control, call another hospice. He said That's right. there's nothing that a hospice hates worse than their patient going to another hospice yeah. and getting the care that they need. And the family raised came. They sh as well they and should. the guy was, uh, the pain was gone. And yeah. I walked up to him just shortly before he lost consciousness. He just grinned at me, smiled, mm. held my hand. Very good. And <laughs> and the family didn't go through what they've been going through for yeah. a week. And I hope everybody... Oh, it's horrible, no horrible for families to watch that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, no, thanks. That's a, that's a good word. Last time I talked to her, her pain, her words, was a 10 out of 10. Mm. And... Then no a couple of days later, it was three out of ten. But you know, the point is, um, I uh, I always heard of hospice care, but I thought it was like death care. And she says, no, it really is pain management <coughs> care to help me what it is. feel more comfortable. And um, this is my sister, who I always say looks like me with girl hair. <laughs> and the point is. We're close and everything, yeah. and it's That's amazing how, I don't know what's going to happen, but the point is, yeah. God's taking care yeah. of me, and I don't know what else to say, but this yeah. was a fluke that I came to this class, I'm happy I can. Nah, no, no, flu no flukes in this town. What about the post-directive? What do you mean? <laughs> well, I live in Tennessee, and we had, my wife died in July, we had an advanced directive, but I was instructed by the adult daycare that we needed in the state of Tennessee, what they call a post document to the advanced directive that was signed off by the doctor to enforce it. Oh, that you, to, to just to, to, to validate that uh -huh. it had been enforced? Yeah. 
That's a good idea. Mm. And that's, yeah, because if, if the physician knows that he or she has to do that, they're probably more likely to take it seriously. Mm. Now, I think the good news is that it, it's gotten better. We're not ignoring advanced directives like we used to. I mean, it used to be wholesale. You know, just treated as this nice set of suggestions. That's not as true today. But, you know, if, if you have it, if it's written down and it's done correctly and carefully, then there's no reason that you can't raise hell about that too. Because that's, you know, they, most people, they work pretty hard to put those together. They expect that they're going to be followed. Yes. I was going to say, um, one thing I've shared with uh, some folks in my ministry when they were in a situation was ministering to the wife. I'll ask this question, can I have your permission to help you think through this? Mm -hmm. Most of the time they'll say yes. Yeah. But you're recognizing the state they're in. Yeah. You know, but you have to be there, and it's tough, but you have to be there through the whole process. You do. Well, and you've got to be able to tell when the main caregivers, you know, going off the cliff. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's, usually those signs are pretty clear. Yeah. And I would, you know, I think maybe maybe the most important pastoral task is with the family after their loved one has passed. Absolutely. Because they're, you know, they're in, you know, if they've lost a spouse that they've been, they've been married to for 30, 40 years, you know, or, you know, God, God forbid they lost a child. Uh, you know they're they're in, you know most of the time they're in crisis mode, and they need they are going to need the body of Christ to rally around them, and just to do a lot of things that I mean sound mundane and ordinary, um, but are so necessary, and that's and that probably that period lasts I think I lasts at least a year when they're going to need the body of Christ to rally around them. Yes. This, this is not the easy route, but I think it's the only one that's effective. Because if you do things that are targeted at death and dying, you know the only people who are going to show up are the ones who don't need to be there. <laughs> We've got this figured out. If, if, if I were pastoring a church full-time, the way I would do this is just sort of systematically in my preaching and teaching, whenever I come across a, a text that mentions resurrection and eternity, I'm going to say something about advanced, advanced care planning, you know, something about managing the dying process kind of on the doorstep to eternity. I'm going to say, I'm, you know, it doesn't have to be a frontal assault, but, you know, regularly when we talk about those, those themes, I'm going to make an application to how this affects you know, those of you who are walking with a loved one right now through the end of life. Mm -hmm. Here's how this matters. And you just sort of, 
you know, as you know, as they come up, because I know, I know you all, your churches, you all preach about resurrection and eternity, maybe maybe more than you think you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's more than one time a year, <laughs> at least I know, but I know it's at least once. <laughs> um, but I, I, in my view, that's the best way to do this. And I've told well, the way I tell my seminary students, the way to handle a lot of these tricky ethical issues is by is by you know, weekly, monthly, just planting seeds in your preaching and teaching. I think that's the most effective way to to change the mentality and change the culture. Uh, and when I, you know, when I do that, I tell a story of somebody who navigated this well. How you know how they lived out the dying process consistent with their theology. That, in my view, that's that's the most effective way to do it. It's not a short-term solution. I mean, you're welcome to try, um, you know, the, the I don't, I don't th- I'm not sure it's Christian or not, but the a document called The Five Wishes um, enables in- individuals to make, to answer all the questions they need to put, put an advanced directive together. You know, in fact, I, you know, whenever I'm, if I make an application, I'm bringing that up on my screen. I hope that helps. Yeah. Uh, one thing that, that may help that's not going to answer this question, but is, uh, is we're going to agree share program. Try to wait for North yeah. Carolina. And that helps a lot. And what I'll do once in a while is take us a series of videos. And I'll pull that out and use it as a service mm-hmm. to bring up what you just said yeah. to, to, to try to make an emphasis on that to get people to think. But you're yeah. exactly right. When we run them, it's a hard time to get people to come forward ahead of time. They just won't. They just won't do it. It's very difficult. No. Who's, I mean, who's, who's going to show up for that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, kind of going along with your question, too. Since there's not really a curriculum, do you have recommends or have some resource recommendations like what you're teaching us today? Um, um, I know there's a section in your ethics book, but probably not. It's, it's got, maybe it is. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I've got the, the book you have in your packet. Is a good start. Okay. Uh, I've learned a little bit more on that. So I've written up a little bit more on this in uh, moral choices, okay. and, and the other one. The other ones I've been out of print for too long. Um, and I'm trying to think. There's. I'm just. I'm not aware of a really good curriculum on this. Off the top, off the top of my head. I'll get, I'll, get, I'll get right on it. <laughs> yeah, they. Yeah, that's a good call. The uh, Christian Medical and Dental Association, also the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, out of Chicago, is also a good. That's a. That's probably the best single resource. CBHD.org. Sorry. Yeah, Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. C B is in boy, H D is in dog. Dot org. The first one was Christian. What was it? Christian Medical and Dental Association. C B what? C B H D. Dot org. Do you cover euthanasia in your books? I do. Okay. I do. I think we we've had kind of enough to talk about here without going down. No, going down. I, I know you're not asking for that. Um, but, okay, I think we're about out of time here. Anything else that I can do for you? I hope this has been somewhat helpful.
and uh, really appreciate you willing to jump in there and interact, and it's been good interaction. Yeah. All right. You all have a good afternoon. Thank you. Good being with all of you. Yes, I Thanks for listening to this session from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.